0: Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to the You Are the Current Resident podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan, and sitting next to me, as always, is our National President, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian how are you today? Doing great, Eddie. Glad to be back and uh, record another episode.
1: I think we've got some good stuff today. got a topic that affects, if not everyone, most people, and probably at some point in their career will affect everyone. So that's always a good thing when we can speak to something that that everyone will experience at some point.
0: I think to put to bed, the Phillies are now 15 games back. We'll put them to bed for the rest of the year. And uh, football's on the way, so that's a good thing. Go Birds! So where did you go this week?
1: Yeah, I uh, had a couple of trips here in the last few days. Was fortunate to uh, have the opportunity on Saturday night. We're recording this. Uh, the week of September the 11th. Go out to Portland, Oregon with Branch 82 and um, President David Norton and the Director of Retirees Sammy Smith put together a great event for their uh, retired members and a uh, dinner and we were able to honor links of NALC membership for a number of people. There's a couple I want to mention specifically. One is former executive vice president, Jim Williams. It was my honor to be able to present him with his gold card for 50 years of NALC membership. And Jimmy uh, was an NBA in Region 2 and and then served as executive vice president here at headquarters before he retired. But hes uh, I said this to the group while we were there. Jimmy is one of the, the few people that you could really make an argument that his impact on NALC was just as profound, in retirement as it was when he was active. You know, Jimmy is kind of the father of the NALC Leadership Academy. For a number of years after he retired, he was very involved with our charitable efforts to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association and created a legacy now that we've had hundreds and and hundreds of people attend the the NALC Leadership Academy, and it's still going strong. So that was a lot of fun. And I also had the honor of presenting an 80-year membership plaque to Brother Paul Swenson, who has been a member of Branch 82 for 80 years. And this episode's coming out, I guess, on September 17th, which is a Sunday. And I want to wish Brother Swenson a happy birthday because on Friday, September the 15th, he turned 102 years old. So, you know, what a joy it was to be around him. And he started right in the middle of world war ii and had to take some time away from carrying mail to go fight in the war and, and then came back and as you might imagine had just an incredible incredible story and perspective on postal service and the changes over the years and And interestingly enough, some of the things that we still deal with today (laughs) with local management and and stuff like that was, he said, was the case in the 40s and 50s too. So I guess some things never change. No, it was was a wonderful event and really enjoyed being with our people out in Portland. And then made a quick trip and came back and uh, went over to Atlantic City, New Jersey, their New Jersey State Association for their state convention and got to address the delegates there. And It's always good to see the folks there from Region 12 and Region 15. President Richie O'Connell of the State Association did an excellent job with the convention and always um, kind of felt special to be there with them on September the 11th. So uh, that's one thing with, with this episode. I think it's important that we remember, you know, all those lives that were lost on September 11th, but also recognize the sacrifice of so many people that since that time have dedicated and given their lives in some cases you know to protect our freedom and and keep us safe and it was a joy to be with our folks from New Jersey a lot of which were you know very close to what happened on September the 11th up in New York. Very much enjoyed uh, being with them and it's always energizing to me to be with our members anywhere and uh, that was certainly the case with those couple of events I got to do this past weekend.
0: Well said. Speaking of Jimmy Williams, he comes out and and kicks off our Leadership Academy, each class, and uh, does a great presentation. This podcast is coming out on the 17th. The deadline for applications was the 15th. If if you're a good boy or girl, you can send your application in to morgan at nalc.org, and I'll accept it. Get it in as quick as you can, please. Let's talk about the rally tomorrow here in D.C., Can you give us some information about that?
1: Yeah, sure. This is about the efforts, long-time efforts at this point, to repeal something called the Windfall Elimination Provision and the Government Pension Offset that unfairly reduce Social Security benefits for civil service retirees, a lot of which are are postal employees and letter carriers. And, you know, without getting too deep into it, in a nutshell, if someone is a civil service retiree uh, and then they earn enough credit to also receive Social Security. The the law that's been in place since really the early 80s reduces their benefits. And it's completely unfair, but it's something that uh, has been around for, I guess, about 40 years now. And it's been a long-time goal of ours to repeal those provisions. So it's just a matter of simple fairness. And our people, for us anyway, our letter carriers that are civil service retirees, being able to get the benefits that they've earned. And we have a bill. That bill, the number is H.R. 82. It has gotten a majority of the uh, Congress, a bipartisan majority of co-sponsors. I think it's at 289 as we're recording this. Hopefully by the time you listen, it'll be higher than that. But yeah, this week there is an event here on Capitol Hill where the original sponsors of the bill, which are Garrett Graves, a Republican representative from Louisiana, and Abigail Spanberger, who's a Democratic representative from Virginia, are holding a uh, press conference type event. And then following that press conference on the Hill, there'll be a rally with a number of different speakers, folks that are a number of different unions who have members that are affected by this, and I'm sure others will be in attendance just to uh, voice support for the legislation and. Unfortunately, I'll be out of town, so I won't be able to be there, but uh, NELC will definitely be there. Our Director of Retired Members, Dan Toth, who's very much familiar with uh, with this issue and has spoken. If you're a retiree listening to this and you're affected by this, there's a pretty good chance you've probably spoken to Brother Toth about this at some point, but Dan will be there and Dan will get an opportunity to speak on behalf of, of our union to voice our support for the legislation. So if you're uh, in the D.C. area, and we hope that you had an opportunity to attend, and uh, you know anything like this that we can do to raise awareness of the issue and and try to gain support is is very important. As that'll until we get it done, will remain one of our legislative priorities. So I trust that by the time you listen to this, that event went well, and uh, and we've made some progress there.
0: And where are you headed out
1: after this? Well, a few things. We've got a number of trainings coming up. Our Several of our regions have their regional wrap sessions in the fall. So we've got region four coming up here soon and region two coming up, region three. So look forward to doing them here in the uh, near future. It's always great to be able to get out there and, and update our people on a lot of the things that are going on here at headquarters. And, and importantly for me um, and, and the work we're doing here at headquarters, to hear from them about the things that are happening on the workroom floor, that's always Great perspective as, as I have the opportunity to go around the country for these type of training events and talk to folks. So looking forward to those. Uh,
0: so today we're going to talk about reap and the route adjustment process. As always, I sat down earlier this week and came up with some questions that our members might have. If I didn't ask your question, you can always ask, ask it through our Ask the Mailbag segment. Submit your questions by emailing us at social at NALC.org. First question, what is reap?
1: So this is a joint route adjustment process that is currently in effect. I think a little bit of history is is important here. We've had an agreement in our collective bargaining agreement since the early and mid-2000s that created a task force that would study a better way to adjust routes. So absent any sort of alternate agreement like the one that we have in place right now. The traditional way of adjusting routes is done pursuant to Chapter 2 of Handbook M39, which is a six-day count and inspection. It's all on management to do it. Inevitably, they do not do it correctly. We file grievances normally successfully. It's a process that, frankly, nobody enjoys. I don't even think the managers enjoy it, and it's a little bit outdated. So we first reached agreement on a joint process back in 2008. That one was IRAP. In 2009, there was Myrap. In 2010, there was JRAP. And then 2011, JRAP returns. And um, in 2014 and 2015, we had a process called CDRAP. And in the years since then, we had not had a process. So we started with the Postal Service in 2021, talking about what a joint process would look like. There's a lot more information that's out there now that's available to us to potentially utilize in a process. So we began negotiating that in earnest Probably sometime in the fall of 2021, and you know, work through for several months, you know, the language and testing different tools that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit as we move through this. But finally, did reach agreement, and um, it's a, a joint process that's in effect right now that we're pretty deep into. We're closer to the end of what this particular agreement covers. I think it's it's important to just cover a couple of really high level important. Pieces of, of what this process is about. And the first thing is what it is not. What it is not is something that utilizes things like engineered standards and projected times to, to do certain functions. This process is just like every other process we've had in the past in the sense that it is based on what the letter carrier actually does, it is based on the time that a letter carrier uses themselves. It is not based on a projection of what some engineered standard says that the time it should take to perform a particular function, be that a delivery or the other stuff that we have on the street that we call allied time, such as relays and you know things like that that are not actual delivery. I think that's a common misconception in a lot of places. We see that from time to time, and some of it driven by that one of our sister unions, you know, the rule cares are implementing a... Um, or have implemented a new route evaluation system that does incorporate some of those type of standards, but that is not our process at all. It is strictly based on what a letter care actually does. The technology that we'll get into in just a second just provides us more information to do that. So that's what it's not. What it is is a joint process where every decision on evaluation and adjustment of a route is made jointly between someone chosen by the Postal Service and someone chosen by the NALC, where we look at the letter care's actual time. We try to identify any issues with the data. We come up with an evaluation for the route. And in the end, there is a singular goal, and that is to adjust every route to as near eight hours as possible. And, you know, it's a little more complicated than that um, because of there's a lot of uh, details and different steps of the process. But, you know, from a kinda high level view. It's a process that's joint. It gives us, you know, not just a seat at the table, but a you know, it's a fifty fifty thing. It's us, it's someone from the postal service and Based on our experience in the past joint processes and our experience so far in this joint process, we still firmly believe that is a much better way for us to evaluate and adjust our assignments than the Postal Service doing it through their own unilateral process. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. And we'll get into, I think, as we go through some of your other questions, probably some details and maybe some of the things that are new with this process compared to our past
0: ones. So how is it different than the joint route adjustment processes in the past?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of it that's, that's very similar. Structurally, it's similar. The way we evaluate office time is similar. That has basically been the same in all of our joint processes going all the way back to 2008. Where it is different is that it incorporates some new technology that it, that's really nothing more than additional information. It's the, the mobile delivery devices, our scanners that we have now, um, postal services, Over the years, developed GPS technology that we, in a general sense, have always, since that technology came along, try to find a way to use it in a positive manner, not just use it to beat people up and, you know, managers just to you know, it to exist for the sole purpose of them questioning things that we're doing out on the street. We've got to find a way to use it in a positive manner. And that is one of the, the things that we're doing here. Because when it comes to a route adjustment for a letter carrier, the more information that's out there, the more information that's available, it can remove all doubt in terms of if you picture a management person and a union person sitting here and their job is to evaluate this route, when all the information through the GPS is available, there's really nothing to argue about. It's the time that the carrier actually took and our experience has been through this process, while there have been issues, a lot of issues with management, management trying to do things unilaterally that we've had to deal with through the dispute resolution process that's included here. But I think it's played out that the access to that additional information and this still being based on a letter carrier's actual time has resulted in a process that is very fair to the letter carrier. It results in, a, in an accurate evaluation. And so the technology piece of it that's incorporated in the evaluation phase is the biggest difference you know that we have through a program called Digital Street Review. That's the biggest difference that we see in this process compared
0: to the ones we've had in the past. So that would be DSR. Can you explain what that is and how it works?
1: Sure. So DSR is a, a program that the Postal Service developed several years ago. The initial purpose for them, it was not jointly developed initially, it was done by the Postal Service themselves, was to create a digital version of what happens when a manager goes out with the carrier and conducts a thirty-nine ninety-nine. So they go out, you walk with the carrier, they've got the little handheld computer thing, and they punch in when you make every delivery and when you get relays ready and, and all that type stuff. So that was their original intent. And it incorporates uh, data from a number of different places, obviously from the scanner, the GPS stuff. We also know uh, it, it's programmed with certain things called geofences. So, for example, outside the post office, there's a, a boundary that's determined in the program that you know when you cross that boundary, leaving the post office, that starts travel to the route. For example, the same thing when you come back. So there's there's some predetermined programming like that that helps accurately record the different functions that happen out there. So. When we first began negotiating this process, we had this program DSR, Digital Street Review, that was originally designed just to create the equivalent of a 99 through this dig- a 39.99 through this digital technology. So we selected a couple of people, and the Postal Service selected a couple of people, and we had them start to work on it and uh, try to see if there technology that's out there, such as this program, that we could potentially use in a joint route adjustment process. And over the course of several months, these folks really dug in. We made a ton of changes to the program. There were a lot of things that the Postal Service, as you might imagine, had kind of predetermined and, and said, you know, this function only takes X amount of time and you know, it would, quote, disallow time, you know, above a certain threshold. We never had any interest in doing that. We still don't have any interest in doing that. It's about just providing as much information as we can about the route. So that's in a nutshell what Digital Street Review is. It's a program where you can go in, you can look at a particular day, you can see everywhere the carrier went throughout the day, making the deliveries, and, and not just it's not just about where the carrier is. It's about how much time it would take to deliver this particular segment of the route or to prepare this relay or travel within a route from place to place. So all of that from a number of different sources, all that information is compiled into a single program that has been modified a lot over the last couple of years in a joint way for us to uh, utilize it for um, the evaluation of the route. And, you know, in com, it starts there and then there's communication with the carrier. And, you know, it's not the only thing that's out there, but it's definitely one of the tools and the biggest change that we've seen compared to the past joint
0: processes. Can you explain the joint structure in the Tyree?
1: Yeah, everything is joint. So there are different levels of oversight. So it starts with a national oversight team for the NALC, one of our staffers here, Ron Osborne, is uh, serves in that role. Ron's very experienced in joint processes and was uh, the individual really for us that worked with a counterpart over the Postal Service and helped. Well, I shouldn't say helped. He pretty much um, identified the changes that needed to be made in the program and, and all that stuff. So there's national oversight. Then there's area regional, which is somebody from our area. I mean, our regional offices and from the postal service area. Then in each postal service district, there's a joint team that's called the district lead team who's responsible for overseeing what happens in that district. And then each district has several what we call route evaluation and adjustment teams that have an NELC member and a postal service, a management member. And those people are the ones that do the actual evaluation of the routes. They're the ones that talk to the carriers. They talk to another joint team at the local level that we call local office contacts, which is the branch president and the postmaster or their designees that provide information to that route evaluation adjustment team. So everything that happens here, every decision that's made has to be agreed upon. And where there is disagreement, the agreement includes a process to resolve those issues. It's a issue resolution process that, depending on where the disagreement originates, it's elevated through that structure i just explained there are time frames there for if it's unresolved then it's moved up to the next to the next level so that piece of it is similar to all the processes we've had in the past and that's served us well the idea is to be able to resolve these issues you know, as quickly as possible. And, you know, look, we're dealing with the Postal Service here. So there are issues that come up. Um, That's no different than what's been the case in, in past joint processes. It's frankly no different than in a unilateral route adjustment process where there are problems and we have to address them through the grievance procedure. So, but the joint structure allows us, you know, to have as much say in it as they do. I think it's served us well because it's, continue through each of those joint processes we talked about earlier
0: speaking about ron osborne he's, I mean, luckily he's on our side and uh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're glad we're him here
1: yeah <laughs> he's definitely on our side yeah. thankfully <laughs> you wouldn't want to be on the other side of
0: the table right. <laughs> who decides which zones get evaluated
1: Yeah. So the the agreement has three selection periods. Um, By the time you're listening to this, all three have already passed. The last one was in May of 2023. But either side, the Postal Service or the NALC, we can opt in any zip code that we want during those evaluation periods. During those periods, there doesn't have to be joint agreement. Either side can say we want to put them in. Um, The way we do that internally, NALC, is our NBA offices reach out to the branches and and the branches will say, you know, here's... The zones we want to put in, so so we'll opt them in. Once outside of those evalu- those selection periods, the only way that a zone can be opted in is by joint agreement. And we do have a few that happen that way, but for the most part, you know, each side just selects them, and and they don't. There's no particular reason, you know, you can pick one for whatever reason you want, but each both the postal service and the NLC get um, the opportunity to uh, to opt zones
0: in can you explain the seven random weeks used in the evaluation?
1: Sure. So one of the things that we've always felt pretty strongly about was that for us to use an average time, you know, in the office and on the street, the the period of time that we use to average or come up with that average needs to be representative of the route over the course of, of an entire year. So as we all know, through different times a year the uh, the volume of mail changes the, the the weather that we deal with changes there's lots of factors that might cause a route to ebb and flow a little bit so to speak throughout the course of the year. So we have traditionally never used the month of December obviously because it's peak season or June July and August because the summer is typically the the lighter months. So what the seven random weeks does? is you take those four months out, you then select randomly one week out of each of the remaining months with an exception of the current month, and you average those out. So, for example, let's say right now we're in September. So, we would then go back. We would not use June, July, August. So, we would use May, April, March, February, January. We would not use December, and we would use November, October, which would give us the seven, one week from each of those months that we use gives us seven random weeks. That makes it representative of the whole year, as opposed to just using a month in September or a month in May or, you know, there's been variations of this over the years, but we find that using that seven random weeks provides a pretty thorough picture of what the route is on average, you know, over the course of, of the entire year. And then there's an eighth week that's also utilized, which we'll get
0: into here in just a minute. Can you explain that, the live week? Yeah, so the
1: eighth week in this process, this is something else that's new, it's called a live week. So you got those seven random weeks, then you have a live week. And the live week is a designated week in each zip code where the route evaluation and adjustment team jointly will review what happens in that office. And during that week, they will have conversations with the carriers in that office. So during that designated week, they're looking at things. If they see something that they don't just doesn't make much sense to them or or they have a hard time understanding why this is happening. The easiest way to figure that out is talk to the carrier. And it also gives the carrier an opportunity to tell the team anything that's kind of out of the ordinary about their route. We all know that every assignment has its own kind of quirky things, whether that's a travel pattern or some unusual Delivery that that happens one or more days during the week. There's all sorts of possibilities that are out there. In the, you know, we have a hundred and forty, fifty thousand routes. So you know that there's all sorts of differences. But that live week is a week where they just look very closely to be sure that that anything that they need to know about the route for the evaluation they're able to to understand. They talk to the carrier, get the feedback, and then that live week is used in. Uh, along with the seven random weeks for the team to determine what the evaluation, you know, that route would be based on the average time that the carrier uses.
0: Why do I always have to carry my scanner?
1: Yeah, so for this process, I mean, I guess the simple short answer is that's what the Postal Service tells us to do, um, which they have the right to do. The uh, other reason is having the scanner with you, number one, carriers know these days, I mean, you use it every day, minute or two but that is where the gps information for the dsr program comes from is where your scanner is located the movement of the scanner it's programmed to identify when is happening and then between at certain points along your route it'll record you know if you finish if you've got a park and loop route and you you walk a loop and then you pull up to your next PAR It's programmed to record your relay time. So keeping that scanner with you is actually to the carrier's advantage in this process because what we want as carriers is for that route adjustment team to be able to see a true picture of what my route is every day, of what I actually do. And by having that scanner with you, the team can then see exactly what happened. The time can be recorded accurately, and that can result in in the best route adjustment that you could possibly have. So, um, again, you know, they tell us to do that, so we should carry it. Uh, but it's actually to your benefit in terms of getting the most accurate and the best evaluation you can for your route based on what you actually do every day. Say
0: my route was evaluated at eight hours and one minute. Why did they take 25 minutes off and add 25 minutes of a different route? Yeah, this depends on a number of factors. So, uh,
1: when we look at a zone, all the routes in that zip code are evaluated, and then we have to adjust each of those as close to eight hours as we possibly can. Now, there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, we want to move as little territory as is necessary to adjust each route to eight hours. Now, that said, there are things out there that a route adjustment might be a good time to correct when you have, you know, things that just simply don't make sense and and carriers crossing over one another. And a lot of that often comes from what carriers tell the team in their consultation. But when you have to adjust all the routes as near eight hours as you possibly can, oftentimes that will involve moving territory, quote, through one route. So, you know, if you're sitting here with a route that's eight eight hours and one minute as you said the route next to you doesn't have you know is 25 minutes over the route on the other side of your route geographically is 25 minutes under most of the time it's not going to make sense to take 25 minutes and have one carrier travel through your route to deliver it on the other or where what was on the other route so in that case there's a little bit of a domino effect that happens but again we do try to to minimize that, except in the case of just correcting some things that route adjustment gives us the opportunity to do, which once again, most often come from carriers through consultation. So we try to minimize it, but just because a route evaluates are near eight hours, because of the evaluations of the routes that are around you or throughout the rest of the zip code, it is possible that um, they'll have to be territory kind of moved, quote, through your route.
0: Who's on the Zoom consultation calls, and should my steward be present at these meetings?
1: Yeah, so the the consultations, be it during the live week or there's a dedicated consultation about the evaluation and then another about the actual proposed adjustment of your route, will be done with a route evaluation adjustment team that'll have an NALC member as well as a management member it is not necessary to have your steward there this is it's not a, a, a disciplinary conversation it's not even a conversation that management's having with you about your job it's a conversation that you're having jointly um, with a joint team and their job then is to get information from you to inform you of what they've seen so I, I really really encourage people to engage Tell the team anything you think they need to know about your route. That NALC member that's on that team, they are someone that has been trained, that has been selected you know, by the union um, because they know what they're doing here um, and they're out there to look out um, for ultimately what our goal is and, and that's to get your route evaluated and adjusted to as near eight hours as possible. So. Definitely engage in those uh, calls because it's very important for them to get your feedback.
0: So my feedback in this consultation really does matter?
1: It absolutely matters. I've, over the years, had been fortunate to, you know, be involved at all kind of different levels of this process. I came to NALC headquarters in 2011 during JRAP, but prior to that, in in the previous joint processes, I pretty much had done it at all levels and have negotiated the last two that we've had. And I can remember in the past, you know, some carriers would say when we would conduct consultations, you know, I don't know what, why should I tell you anything you're going to do whatever you want to well if you don't tell us anything we don't have any choice but to do whatever we want to it is very very important that you communicate with them you know when it comes to offering suggestions on things like adjustments you know there's certainly no guarantee that that the team will be able when you consider all the other routes in the zone to do exactly what you recommend but there are things about a route that only a carrier knows And the only way for the team to become aware of that, know that, take that into consideration, is for the carrier to communicate that to them. So this process has more time dedicated to the team talking to the carrier than any joint process we've ever had. This occurs during that live week. This occurs when they're evaluating your route. Then it occurs again when they have a proposed adjustment. So take advantage of those opportunities and the NALC member on that team, I can't speak for the Postal Service member, but I think at least in most cases is to, you know, even for their people and the goal of the process to adjust your route as near eight hours as possible. And your feedback is a a key, key piece of that. So please take advantage of of that opportunity and engage with them.
0: Do I still get credit for a certified mail that's in my DPS?
1: You get credit for everything that you do on the street. That's kind of the beauty of looking at the carrier's actual time. Whenever it comes to street time, which that's where the majority of what certifieds are actually a pretty good example now. They're running the DPS, so you don't do much with them in the office in the morning in most cases. There's no sort of credit for X number of parcels or this many accountables out on the street, it takes what it takes. And by using the random weeks that we explained earlier over a long period of time, you are, uh, and, and determining an average time for that route, you are taking into account every factor that a letter carrier encounters. That could be weather, that could be volume, that could be traffic, that could be I don't feel good one day, it could be anything. That's one of the positives of using the actual street time here, as opposed to you know, the, the possibility of other type systems where X number of this could count for this much time and one of the reasons why we have never been in a position where we want to do agree to that. You know, anything that you do on the street is included and, you know, the, the question specifically about certifies that are in the DPS yeah, the same is true because you're out on the street. Obviously, if you come to a certified letter, you pull it out of your DPS, you're going to have to deal with that, with your device and, and you know, all that stuff, getting signatures and all that. All that's included. Everything that happens out there is included in that average time. So how are we doing nationwide?
0: Are we up routes? Are we down routes? Yeah,
1: so far, and, and we still have a number, uh, a lot of routes that are still in process. That'll probably continue into sometime in 2024 uh, before we finish them all. But so far, we've added, as of today, 610 routes around the country. This process for us is really not about, you know, a, a number of routes to add or certainly not about routes to take out. But It's really mostly about just adjusting routes to near eight hours as possible. But I think, you know, as carriers know out there, we've continued to see the growth in parcels and you know, the e-commerce and that stuff. And I think the fact that we've added over 600 routes thus far and we're still, you know, we've got a lot of routes to still evaluate and adjust is probably reflective of that increasing. A little bit of a stabilization in the letter and flat volume. I mean, it's the first class mail is still declining, but at a much slower pace than it has in years past. And we still see the parcels continue to increase. And I think that's reflected in the fact that
0: so far we've added several hundred routes. So what happens at the end of the agreement? Do we just stop and go back to six-day counts? Once everything, has been, everything that's been
1: selected for evaluation, once all of those are implemented, uh, the adjustments are implemented, the reviews are done, if there is no other agreement, the short answer is yes. We go back to the absent another agreement, the Chapter 2 process. I will tell you, as we are engaged in collective bargaining, this is a big topic in collective bargaining and I think there's um, an interest on, on both sides, from both us and the Postal Service, of incorporating a, a joint process into our collective bargaining agreement. There's an interest in doing that. It's just a matter of whether you know we're able to, to get to the point of agreement. And, and so far, those discussions have been productive. So we'll see if that turns out to be the case. If it does you know, we get an agreement or through interest arbitration, however we, you know, get our next collective borrowing agreement, then that would become the process. So, but absent that, absent an additional route adjustment agreement, you know, once everything here is uh, all those routes that have, that have been selected, um, once those adjustments are done, then yeah, we would, we would go back to a the post service doing chapter twos, which I don't think anybody's really interested in doing, to be
0: honest. How does the expedited bidding work during Tyree? Yeah, so
1: you know, when it comes to route adjustments, you've got everything from a, a very minor, you know, territory movement to, depending on the evaluations of the route, a significant territory movement. And there's an option that's included in the agreement that allows the NLC to choose to do what we call an expedited bid. So local agreements, local memorandums of understanding have different types of things that trigger routes to be posted for bid if you know certain amounts of changes are made. And the expedited bidding is just simply an additional option that's there in the event we do have to bid some routes as a result of the adjustment that that can be done in an expedited manner as opposed to just going through the normal posting process, which in a large zip code can take, sometime by the time someone bids from here to there and then that route's posted in some cases you're talking about taking months for all that to shake out so it's just an additional option that's uh, included included in this agreement
0: is there a chance i could lose my route or route there's a chance of course i, I
1: don't you know we don't go into this With that idea, I will tell you that in zones where we get to a a place of evaluation, you know, I'm speaking just from experience here, and the team still do the same thing, where, you know, it looks like there would be a reduction. There are a lot of things that are factored in, seniority, most importantly. I mean, we don't, if we do have to reduce the number of routes in a zone, we don't go in there looking to take one of the more senior carriers' assignments away. So that plays into it, but it's always a possibility. But just frankly, in this process, we've seen very, very, very little of that. I mean, the fact that we've added over 600 routes so far and and we still have a lot to go, there's been very little. So it's a possibility, yes. In the event that happened and seniority still rules in in our business. So there's bidding processes at work and, and in the event your assignment was eliminated or reduced to an auxiliary route or something like that, you still have the opportunity with your seniority more than likely to bid. If not immediately then certainly at some point in the in the relatively near future.
0: So those are the questions I had. If I didn't ask your question, you can always submit it to our ask the mailbag segment. You can submit your questions at email social at NALC.org. All right, man, let's go to our Ask Damn Mailbag segment. First question up is from Ben Osborne. He said, can we get a contract update every podcast? Every carrier I know, this is the only issue they care about. They've been waiting patiently for news on our contract and just want to see how everything's going.
1: Sure. So yeah, I'll give a little update here. Um, I think it is most definitely the most important issue. I'd be lying if I told you it's the only issue I cared about because I wouldn't be doing my job if that were the case. But certainly it's the most important thing that we do as a union. And I do completely understand, as I tell cares all the time, you know, when we talk about these kinds of things, that the desire for, you know, information and and particularly when you see around us, our other unions in the private sector that have very public negotiation battles and contract campaigns and, and that type of thing, you know. But as we explained on an earlier episode when we talked about the difference in public and private union negotiations, you know, they in the private sector they only have the right to strike. So public pressure by doing things like education of the harm that could come as a result of a strike is often you know a very effective tactic in terms of negotiating strategy. For us, you know, it's illegal for us to strike and we have a process called interest arbitration. And at different points in time, it's debatable. Um, Some people would be of the opinion that you're better off with a right to strike and no interest arbitration. And I can promise you that there's an awful lot of unions out there, especially over the last 10 to 15 years that would have loved to have had interest arbitration as opposed to the right to strike. So you know it's not really one's better than the other it's just simply that it's different in the public sector and it comes down to you know those public sector unions that that's what the law is and it's a lot of it is a r- result of you know us and and other feds being essential employees so we um give updates as they are there and um, but intentionally do not go out and do a lot of divulge a lot of public information about, you know, just the the details and day-to-day of what's going on in our contract negotiations. The reason for that is that would only harm what we are attempting to negotiate with the Postal Service. That would only harm our efforts, and I can promise you I have done this now at uh, headquarters. It's my fourth round of collective bargaining. Two of those I served as a chief spokesperson, and I can assure you that if I thought that doing something different than what we are in terms of allowing information to go out and and publicly would help us, I would do that. But the fact is it can only only harm our efforts. And the reason for that is whenever information becomes very public, it tends to have a a cooling effect and not allow the parties to have as open a conversation as we like to have when it comes to our day-to-day and week-to-week. Negotiating conversation. So, but as far as you know, asking for an update, I, I will tell you that things are progressing. We have a, a number of things that we have have tentatively agreed on. Now, you don't have agreement till you have a complete agreement, <laughs> all of it. But there's a lot of work that's been done over the last several months um, on issues. The issues that we are down to now are, are mostly the larger economic issues and. You know, we've made some progress in that regard and often questions come and it's completely understandable maybe from carriers that are um, haven't, you know, been with the postal service all that long and, and maybe haven't been, you know, around when collective bargaining was happening. And even honestly, going back in our twenty nineteen agreement was was a little unusual because the pandemic happened right in the middle of it, which affected scheduling for interest arbitration. But this process takes time. Uh, if you look historically, we are at this point not even near the length of time that it's taken us at times in the past to, to reach agreement. So if we wanted an agreement quickly, you could we could come up with an agreement quickly. But what would be necessary for us to have an agreement that happened quickly would not serve the interest of our members and reward letter carriers. So we are uh, at the point now, though, where we continue to have productive discussions. We will, in the very near future, absent reaching a tentative agreement, uh, we will select a, an arbitrator to chair the uh, interest arbitration panel and move forward to scheduling those hearings. But as long as our, even though we do that, and if you read, we'll obviously put that out on the website and in the magazine and that type of stuff when we get to that point. The fact that you read that does not mean we've stopped negotiating. As long as the prospects remain for us to reach a tentative agreement that, you know, we believe is deserving and and fair to our members, you know, that rewards us for our contribution to the Postal Service and addresses a lot of the issues that um, that we've talked about a lot, you know, both on this podcast and otherwise, we will continue to negotiate. So the issues remain the same. Often there's specific questions about certain things. And, you know, one common one is getting rid of table two and stuff like that. And, and um, you know, the short answer is yes, all that stuff is still on the table. And, you know, as you Move through this process of discussions, you go through so many different possibilities. So it really takes a lot of work, and, and both sides, you know, looking to uh, identify places where we can find common ground that takes care of the needs of, of our members, and we'll continue to do that. But I will, at a baseline level, here say we believe, as I've said many, many times before. Number one, the non-career craft in its current form with its current pay level and benefits does not serve us anymore. So there's got to be change there. And then number two, letter carriers frankly deserve to be paid more. And the answer to that question is not as simple as get rid of one table and go back to the other, you know, it's more than likely is a combining uh, the two because We certainly would want the uh, dollar amounts to be more reflective of what's in Table 1, but Table 1 comes with its own problems structurally, and that's resulted in a number of different issues in the past. So I can tell you that there will be significant financial gains made uh, or there will not be an an agreement reached and we'll proceed to interest arbitration, which our case in interest arbitration is very strong. We feel great about it. We are not completely finished with it, but the vast majority of it is – Done. If that's the direction we have to go to achieve an agreement that we believe is fair to our members and you know rewards us for our contributions to the postal service and the difficulty of our job and all those type things, we will not hesitate to do that. And either way, there's really no question in my mind that we'll um, eventually have an agreement that is worthy of the work that our members do.
0: Amen. Our second question comes from Justin James, Branch 357, out in Long Island City. The cost of living in New York City is extremely high. As a Step A regular, I barely make enough to live while I work eight grueling hours a day. My first question is, I'm sure the union and the postal service know the cost of living in these cities are higher. How is the union looking to balance out pay for those cities with higher cost of living? Yeah, so Justin, just a little bit of background
1: here. You know, a lot of, of what our negotiating positions uh, come from resolutions that are submitted by our branches and our state associations that are passed by members at branch meetings and state conventions. And they submit these resolutions to the NALC's national convention that happens every couple of years. In this particular case, we would call something like this a national agreement resolution, where, as you point out, the cost of living certainly is high in New York City. But the concept of paying carriers, more in a location like that that's got a high cost of living versus other areas where the cost of living is not so high is we've kind of traditionally referred to that concept as area wage. There have been over the last, I don't at least 20-something years, maybe even longer than that, a number of those resolutions submitted. I know each of the last four or five conventions for sure Resolutions have been submitted for consideration by the delegates at the NALC National Convention that would adopt some form or fashion, NALC in some form or fashion would adopt a negotiating strategy of negotiating an area wage like you recommend. The simple fact of the matter is that each time that has happened, the delegates at the convention have not approved or have disapproved that resolution. So that concept has not become an official bargaining position of the NALC. Until such time as the delegates at a convention, because they have shown over and over and over that that is not the bargaining position that we want to take, until such time as a a resolution like that is adopted by our convention, then we will continue to negotiate as we have for a long time, that all city letter cares, regardless of location, you know, we, we negotiate the same wages. So now um, I know that's kind of a long answer to, to your question, but I think it's important to understand that those official bargaining positions, you know, the, the will of the delegates at the convention, which is representative of the entire country and of our membership, is the highest authority within our union. And um, we in negotiations follow exactly the things that have been approved as official bargaining positions, but then, you know, certainly are not going to go attempt to negotiate something that has continuously been disapproved when it was submitted as a resolution to become an official bargaining position.
0: His second question was about getting rid of table two. And he said, please say yes. But uh, you've already answered that in, in our last question. Yeah. If the question is, will Table
1: 2 in its current form remain, the, the short answer is, if we reach a tentative agreement, no, it will not. <laughs> um, if we go to interest arbitration, that's a whole different story. But I can tell you our there are things that in order for us to have, to reach a tentative agreement with the Postal Service, there will be pretty significant changes made to the pay table that's in Table 2.
0: Our next question comes from Mark, Branch 92, Portland, Maine. He wants to know what's the difference between a national rap session and a convention. Yeah, so in our Constitution, we have a convention on uh, even-numbered years,
1: and we also, the Constitution, calls for a national conference on the other years. So that's the odd-numbered years. Um, We have, over the years, just sort of commonly referred to it as a rap session. It is constitutionally for branch and state presidents. We have more people than that that come, and and we're certainly okay with that to accommodate them to the extent we can as far as space and and that type stuff. But normally what we do, and we'll do the same thing for our national conference or wrap session that's scheduled November the 17th through the 19th in New Orleans, is folks will travel in on a Friday, registrations on a Friday, Friday night, there'll be a opening reception. All day Saturday, we do training. so headquarters officers and staff will put on a, a multiple different training classes and, and we try to cover all the, the main things that are happening in, in different areas that, that branch, you know, presidents you know may need to uh, you know be know the latest that's going on and, and that type thing. And then on Sunday, We'll start Sunday morning and we have what's called a wrap session where I will uh, update everybody that's there on a number of different topics and then we'll open the floor and, and give the branch and state presidents that are present the opportunity to uh, ask any questions or bring up any issues and it's always a very healthy discussion. You know, I, I travel around the country and every one of our 15 regions has kind of similar things, but this is a great opportunity to get the leadership from the whole country together and update them, but, you know, as importantly, just have conversation about the issues that are facing letter carriers in our union going forward. So, and then the National Convention, of course, is a, you know, a week-long event that uh, happens every other year that, as I mentioned earlier on another question, the highest governing body of our union. So, it's just a conference that allows us to, you know, in those off years from a convention to stay connected. And We're, we're excited about the RAP session we have coming up. We've got a couple of things that will be new that we are excited to announce and roll out there to do with some training and some of our stuff we're doing with our legislative and political efforts. And hopefully we will uh, potentially even have a, a tentative collective borrowing agreement to talk about when we get there in November. But we'll see.
0: Fingers crossed. All right, last question. Would be from a Jim and Branch 55, that's in Rhode Island, and uh, he wants to know about the crime rallies that we've been doing. He said he saw that we've had a bunch of them. He wants to know if we're going to do any more and what response have we gotten?
1: Yeah, they, they've the response has been fantastic. So we've done one in Chicago, we've done one in Cincinnati, Ohio. We have a couple that are in the uh, works out in California that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about on our next couple of episodes the idea behind these is just to get together with our local branch i will attend these if at all possible we get usually local community leaders uh, we've had members of congress which we'll continue to do and get the local media there and, and even some national media we've had coverage at a couple of these but the idea is not to to get up there and and necessarily have a rally to place blame or anything like that. It's about getting the word out, and it's about making sure that the the folks in the community are aware of this problem that's going on. It's about raising awareness, and the media coverage has been excellent. That's one of the, you know, just raising general awareness of these issues is one of the key pieces for what we think needs to happen for us to turn this ship so to speak and and start to stop some of this crime so yes we will continue to uh do those we're working you know with our nba offices and all the information we collect and you know to identify locations where we've had a number of these crimes and you know where there would be interest among our folks and you know along with other things we are working on some legislation that hopefully on a future episode um very soon we'll be able to talk about that probably will become our legislative priority. There's some things that can be done there to address the crime and some of the issues that we're experiencing. But the rallies have been positive, uh, been positive, and we're excited about continuing to, to utilize that. And, and I'm really encouraged by the support from, I mean, everybody supports their letter carrier, but, you know, the support from the communities and members of Congress and You know, even local law enforcement has been excellent. So those have gone well so far, and we'll continue to
0: do them because enough is enough. Well said. All right, that ends our Ask the Mailbag segment. If you want to have your question asked in a future episode, submit your question. Just please email us at social at NALC.org. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of You Are the Current Resident. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. You can follow NALC on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. If you have any questions to submit or have feedback about the podcast, again, please email us at social at NALC.org. As always, may your steward be by your side and your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week.